the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. And here we are. As always, giving you thanks for being along with us for the Bible Live program. We're going to be reading from the book of 1 Samuel. We have made our way through chapter 17. This is a transition book from the time of the judges to the time of the king. They entered into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Then they have the times of the judges right on up to close to 400 years before the reign of King Saul, who had a very tenuous reign. His time really controlling and directing and guiding the nation was very limited because very early on he left the path of God. He never caught the vision of who Israel was, the exceptionalism of the people of Israel as a nation, that they were called to be a light to the nations. They were called to live in a different way, not to follow after the other gods, the primitive gods of the pagan nations that were no gods at all. He never understood that the God of the Scriptures is the true and living God who is carrying out a unique work of revelation using the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. He never got that vision and so therefore fell off the path very, very quickly as seen in his refusal to battle and destroy the people of Amalek, which had a very intentional pagan mentality, pagan philosophy, rejecting intentionally the true and living God, the idea of God. That's what we've gotten to in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. We'll pick up there tonight in verse 20. But before we do that, let's flip over in our Bibles to the Psalms and the Proverbs. Psalm 57, God's faithful help and love in times of trouble. Psalm 57, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until this violent storm is past. I cry out to God Most High, to God who will fulfill His purpose for me. 
He will send help from heaven to save me, rescuing me from those who are out to get me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, O harp and lyre. I will wake in the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, in front of all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. End of reading Psalm 57. When we face trials, David says, God will quiet our hearts and give us confidence. I hope that's your experience today right here in 21st century America. Well, we pick up now with the story of Saul, who started off well with a lot of potential, but then stumbled. And now we're picking up and watching the experience of a young man named David. 1 Samuel 17:20 through 20:17. 1 Samuel 17. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts. He arrived at the outskirts of the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, he saw Goliath, the champion from Gath, come out from the Philistine ranks, shouting his challenge to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men were asking? He comes out each day to challenge Israel. And have you heard about the huge reward the king has offered to anyone who kills him? The king will give him one of his daughters for a wife, and his whole family will be exempted from paying taxes. David talked to some others standing there to verify the report. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and putting an end to this abuse of Israel, he asked them. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And David received the same reply as before. What you have been hearing is true. That is the reward for killing the giant. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go fight this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can go against this Philistine. You are only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted. 
I have been taking care of my father's sheep, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested. I'm not used to them. So he took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across to fight Goliath. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David shouted in reply, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it from his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face downward to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone and sling. And since he had no sword, he ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill the giant and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the Israelites gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sha'araim as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem, but he stored the Philistines' armor in his own tent. As Saul watched David go out to fight Goliath, he asked Abner, the general of his army, Abner, whose son is he? I really don't know, Abner said. We'll find out, the king told him. After David had killed Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistines' head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, my boy. Saul said. And David replied, His name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend, and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander in his army, 
an appointment that was applauded by the fighting men and officers alike. But something happened when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed Goliath. Women came out from all the towns along the way to celebrate and to cheer for King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, in fact, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave like a madman. David began to play the harp, as he did whenever this happened. But Saul, who had a spear in his hand, suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David jumped aside and escaped. This happened another time, too, for Saul was afraid of him, and he was jealous because the Lord had left him and was now with David. Finally, Saul banned him from his presence and appointed him commander over only a thousand men. But David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. One day Saul said to David, I am ready to give you my older daughter Merab as your wife. But first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought to himself, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. Who am I and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law, David exclaimed. My father's family is nothing. So when the time came for the wedding, Saul gave Merab in marriage to Adriel, a man from Mahola. In the meantime, Saul's daughter Michael had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines, Saul said to himself. But to David he said, I have a way for you to become my son-in-law after all. Then Saul told his men to say confidentially to David, The king really likes you, and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? When Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, How can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told them, Tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. David was delighted to accept the offer. So before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines and presented all their foreskins to the king. So Saul gave Michael to David to be his wife. When the king realized how much the Lord was with David and how much Michael loved him, he became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Whenever the Philistine army attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous throughout the land. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 19. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his close friendship with David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. Please don't sin against David, Jonathan pleaded. 
He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he took David to see Saul, and everything was as it had been before. War broke out shortly after that, and David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day, as Saul was sitting at home, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp for the king, Saul hurled his spear at David in an attempt to kill him. But David dodged out of the way and escaped into the night, leaving the spear stuck in the wall. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't get away tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window, and he escaped. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, and put a cushion of goat's hair at its head. When the troops came to arrest David, she told them he was sick and couldn't get out of bed. Then bring him to me in his bed, Saul ordered, so I can kill him as he lies there. And he sent them back to David's house. But when they came to carry David out, they discovered that it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair at its head. Why have you tricked me and let my enemy escape, Saul demanded of Michael. I had to, Michael replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. So David got away and went to Ramah to see Samuel, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. Then Samuel took David with him to live at Naioth. When the report reached Saul that David was at Naioth in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived and saw Samuel and the other prophets prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also began to prophesy. When Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. The same thing happened a third time. Finally, Saul himself went to Ramah and arrived at the great well in Seku. Where are Samuel and David, he demanded. They are at Naioth in Ramah, someone told him. But on the way to Naioth, the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. He tore off his clothes and lay on the ground all day and all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, What? Is Saul a prophet too? You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 20 David now fled from Naioth in Ramah and found Jonathan. What have I done? he exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. I'm sure he's not planning any such thing, for he always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know he wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. Tell me what I can do, Jonathan exclaimed. David replied, Tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with your father on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the field and stay there until the evening of the third day. 
If your father asks where I am, tell him I ask permission to go home to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. If he says, fine, then you will know all is well. But if he is angry and loses his temper, then you will know he was planning to kill me. Show me this kindness as my sworn friend, for we made a covenant together before the Lord. Or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father. But please don't betray me to him. Never, Jonathan exclaimed. You know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. Then David asked, How will I know whether or not your father is angry? Come out to the field with me, Jonathan replied. And they went out there together. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he is angry and wants you killed, may the Lord kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies. So Jonathan made a covenant with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. End of reading, 1 Samuel 17, 20 through 2017. You are God in heaven, and here am I on earth. So I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. are listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And I'll send in awe of you. I'll stand in awe of you, Lord Jesus. As we begin to see how great God is and how much he loves us, in fact, we do stand in awe of such a great and good and gracious God. I hope that's your experience and you're just running over with gratitude, with praise, and with the joy of the Lord this evening. That can happen in spite of our circumstances. Today we live in what would be considered very dark, very difficult days in this nation. All but the most hardened, all but the one most resentful of and rejecting of God and His ways and His Word would say, there's no doubt about it, we're in bad trouble as a nation. But just as the psalm brings out, we place our faith, our trust in Him as God's people God is controlling and guiding, and we must bring our minds and hearts into harmony with who He is and what He's doing. That brings us hope. That brings us a joy that goes beyond the circumstances. Now, God may be indeed judging this nation. Who knows? Some say it may be the end of America as America was birthed and has been known. We don't know that. He may do a greater miracle of grace than we even suppose. But even then, we know as citizens of heaven that God is guiding and he will bring blessing for his people and he will expand his kingdom. That is his priority, calling out a people for himself. In that time, in that era, there are others who truly loved God and served God and sought God. But here we have David, who God intends to use. God has already made his purpose clear 
He intends to use this young man named David to carry out his purposes for the nation of Israel to return them to that divine purpose for which he had called them. Now remember the legacy of faith that David comes from. Boaz and Ruth, his family lineage, loved God, respected the scriptures, knew the prophecies clearly. So we see one here that has been prepared And there is this bent in David already. He has responded to the calling of God as a child, and there is this inclination now to follow after the true and living God. Jonathan is another who truly loves God and seeks after God's will and honors the true and living God. Jonathan just is not committed first and foremost to power and to the throne. He doesn't seem to care in mind that his friend David is the one that seems to have received the favor of God. That doesn't seem to bother Jonathan nearly as much as it just irks to no end his father Saul. Young David, as we open our reading tonight, goes to the battle with the Philistines. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. He could be afraid of the ridicule of Eliab, his brother, and his peers, all of his young friends. He could be afraid of a ridicule of Saul and the rest of the army that would be looking to him. Uh, He made this boast, and now he could be afraid of ridicule, afraid of failure and the consequences of failure for his nation. We can't forget the most obvious fear he could have was this nine-foot individual named Goliath, this giant who was a warrior. So David had every reason to fear, but you see a young man here with tremendous confidence. In terms of his philosophy, in terms of his worldview, he is everything that Saul is not. Saul does not understand the exceptionalism of Israel. Saul does not understand that God has uniquely called them to be a peculiar and special people, to be an instrument of revelation to other nations. David gets it, and he's willing to bank on it. He's willing to put his life in the balance. He's willing to step out in faith and live consequent with that calling of God on his life and on the people of Israel. So David does. God gives him a great victory. And then we see Saul trying to kill him. First, he tries to let other people kill him, the Philistines, his own men and people, and then he even attempts himself to kill him. But God is definitely got his hand on David's life, and Jonathan, Saul's son, sees it clearly. I like very much the whole story, really, but the part of the story where Saul tries to give David his armor. I'm sure the king's armor was first rate, probably the very best there was. David tried it on, but it was just not it. That was not, that was not his thing. That was not his way of battling, and he turned it back. You know, the whole thing about Saul and David is that David doesn't try to do God's work. He doesn't try to be the man of God. He doesn't try to be God's leader, God's king over the nation in his own strength, in his own power, in his own resources. He doesn't try to accomplish God's will with human strength and human resources. He is content in most cases to rely upon the supernatural power of God to work in him and through him. So should we. Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America. And your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. 
Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 